You're listening to Crosspoint Community Church in LaGrange, Texas podcast. To learn more about Crosspoint Community Church, including service times and how you can connect, please visit crosspointchurchtx.org. We continue our time together in Matthew chapter 6 in the series of rebooting. And it's been, as you know, the last couple of years have been confusing and chaotic and crazy and all kinds of different things that we've been feeling, all the different emotions. And so as we started this new year, we started a series reboot and thinking about how we can, in the midst of our emotions and our relationships and our finances and all different areas of our life, how we need to reboot. And so just like your computer, sometimes you just got to, things get wanky and there's glitches. And so you just got to hold down the the power button and restart or control alt delete and just kind of begin again. And so that's kind of where we're at. And we looked at Isaiah chapter 40, where God talks about we can have a new perspective and and at 30,000 foot, we can fly like eagles and see things from a God perspective and how we can also in the midst of life in Matthew chapter 14, see that life storms will happen, but it's a matter of what we keep our eyes on and what we focus on that allows us to to do some of the things that God has wants us to do and, and to live for him. And then we, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at Matthew chapter 6 and this uniqueness of how Jesus prayed, that his disciples hung out with him for a while and began to see that Jesus prayed differently than all the other guys. They grew up in Jewish homes. They went to the synagogues. All these other rabbis have been praying, but none of them had prayed like Jesus. And so at one point they said, Jesus, teach us to pray like you. We want to be able to pray with intimacy. We want to be able to pray with expectancy. We want to be able to pray with um, the spirit of relinquishment, um, which is what we're going to talk about today. Of What does it look like for us to surrender? Like, how can you pray your kingdom come, your will be done when we are a naturally um, selfish people? And so this morning, we're going to go from verse 9 to verse 10. We're going to be really speeding up, okay, in uh, Matthew chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, looking at verse 9 and 10. And it says this, pray like this. Again, remember the disciples had asked, hey, teach us to pray like you. And so his first thing is, pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So immediately in that, may your kingdom come, may your will be done, you can see that there's a tension for us. Because we are selfish people, we are prideful people, and we want our kingdom not anyone else's kingdom. We, we fight for that. Anytime that you're in relationship with anyone outside of yourself, there's a tension because what's happening is that other person is fighting for their kingdom and you're fighting for yours, and that's, that's life. And so here we are in our relationship with God in prayer saying, God, I want your agenda and your kingdom, which is a struggle for us, and we'll talk more about that. But Part of that is in any relationship, imagine walking up to someone and dumping off your wish list, like Christmas. Like, hey, this, 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 and then immediately dropping that and turning around and walking off and thinking that someone's going to respond positively to you, that here's your wish list and they're just going to meet that and, and fix it. And that's many times how we pray, is we come to God with, hey, here's my list. 
and we talk 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 and we share our burdens and our concerns. And yes, God the Father wants to hear those things. But as a part of the relationship, the other piece to that is us stopping and pausing and shutting our mouth and listening with our two ears. But we're so busy about our agenda and our roles and our cares and our concerns, many times we don't stop to listen. And so here Jesus in this, may your kingdom come, may your will be done, he's reminding us that it's truly not all about us. And so then in this prayer we stop, and as Psalm 46 tells us, be still and know that I am God. So if he's God and I'm not, then we should probably stop and listen. And when we stop and listen, it's not God hearing from us, but God allowing we're allowing God to speak to us and to just pause for a moment. One of the problems, though, is that we are selfish, prideful people. And even in the Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, where we see where Adam and Eve wanted to be like God, and that was their first mess up, that's still us. We want to play God of our lives. That we have this little drawing of a kingdom that we have and we want to be in control. We want what we want, when we want it, how we want it, why we want it. And so we set up this little kingdom for ourselves. But then we come to this point in our relationship with God and we say, God, not your kingdom, but my kingdom. But make sure that your kingdom fits within mine. As many times as actually what we're praying and what we're thinking. In Jeremiah 17.9, we're reminded of the fact that our heart is deceptive. That our heart is deceitful and beyond cure, except for when we say yes to Jesus. And when we say yes to Jesus, what happens is there's this thing that happens where we receive a new heart. Our old scripture tells us that our old calloused heart that's full of decay is removed and a new heart is placed with inside of us. Now, our DNA is still to be like God. But because we have a new heart that's been infused with Godness, the Holy Spirit has taken residence with inside of us. Now we have moments of desires that are outside of us and desires for things of God. We want to taste for the things of God. But that's a battle that we're constantly struggling with is my kingdom versus his kingdom. My desires versus his desires for me. And part of that is because we think that sometimes that God's desires are so radical or, or we don't even want to pray, God, your kingdom, because we're afraid he's going to make us go to Africa or go do something so radical for us that, that we're, we don't even pray those things. But the battle for us is from that moment of saying yes to Jesus, the battle is living into and leaning into and trusting that God the Father has good things for us and good intentions and that we won't pray for our bread and he gives us a rock. He wouldn't do that. And so it's trusting who God is and the battle that we have. And even in James chapter 1, verses 13 and following, it's talking about trials and temptations of life. And James helps us distinguish that trials are something that God allows in our life, that there are things that will happen. And in those trials, that God allows those things to happen so that we can't do things in our own strength, that we get to the end of ourselves, and we have to lean into him, into Jesus, into God. And so we get to the end of ourselves. But temptations do not come from God. They come from inside of us. That's the ugliness that we carry around inside. The DNA in us that I want to be like God is carried around inside of us. And so those are the temptations. So in James 1, he tells us about that. He says, remember, when you are being tempted, 
do not say God is tempting me. Because God never is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from your own evil desires, which entice us and drag us away. One of the ways that I think about this is that you're walking along the street, and it's a well-lit street. You feel safe. You feel good. You've just gone to dinner. Things are great. And all of a sudden, you walk by this alley, and you happen to get a glance down the alley, and you're like, hmm, what's down there? Now, inside of you, you see something that attracts you. And inside of you, everything inside is going, hey, that doesn't look safe. It doesn't smell very good. You see all this different stuff. But something down there gets your attention. And so you rationalize it and you make the trek down the alley, even though you have a safe path here. That is sin. That is temptation. That we're going along in life, we're moving in the direction that God has for us, but something glimmers over here, and we convince ourselves that this time it will be different. Because you've been down that alley, or you've been down an alley like that before, and you know that you're going to get beat up. You know that you're going to have shame, pain, regret, remorse, and all that. But you still go down there anyway because you've convinced yourself, you rationalize, it will be different than any other time that you've been down that alley before. And so you leave the well-lit path that's safe and go down here. So the scripture here in James chapter 14 describes that, that the sin within inside of us, it entices us and it literally, it drags us away and the scripture tells us it beats us up. Have you ever felt like that? You just beat up because of the shame, the pain, the guilt, the conscience inside of you. And so when sin is allowed to grow, what happens? It gives birth to death. Now, all of us have seen an ugly baby, right? Now, you don't tell the mom and dad that it's an ugly baby. This is an ugly baby. Your sin giving birth is an ugly baby, and now you're carrying it around, or you feel like you're carrying it around, and people know it. And so this is why many times we stay away from church, we stay away from community, because we went down the dark alley, and we gave birth to our sin, and we're shameful. And we feel like everyone can see our ugly baby. When in reality, what we truly need is we need to move down an alley back into the lighted path and join our community so our community can come around us and say, yeah, I had an ugly baby too and it looked just like that. And we got a whole bunch of ugly babies, but we're on a journey together. Your, your kingdom, but mine. Even in Ephesians chapter 6, you see that our struggle is not with each other or even with God, but it's with the evil powers. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, a final word on spiritual warfare. Be strong in the Lord. Again, not in our power, but in his power. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. Now listen, the devil is our enemy. He is actively pursuing you. If you have said yes to Jesus and you are in Christ, he's after you. Because what he wants for the Lord's army is for us to be distracted and pursuing all the different things that we want. Because if we're on different fronts pursuing what we want, then we're not together moving and conquering army like Christ wants for us. And so we're distracted and moving all these different ways. And so the three ways that the devil distracts us, we're not very smart, okay? There's three ways that he continually distracts us. Power, money, sex. We're not that smart. What tantalizes us? We're walking along. 
following God's path. We're in a place of safety. We're moving in that direction. Nothing can distract us. And all of a sudden, power, money, sex. Think about it. All of the sins of the world, all the men and women that have fallen throughout history. Power, money, sex. Or all three. We are easy people to be distracted. We get a little bit of power. We get a little bit of money. Our hearts and our minds go. The evil one's strategy is to pursue us in those ways. And so when we're walking along for us to be reminded that our struggle is not with God. That it's not about a struggle even about my kingdom and his kingdom as much as the fact that there is an enemy that is pursuing us and trying to convince us that our kingdom is more important than God's kingdom. And he does it with power, money, and sex. Those things make us feel like we have power and authority and we have worth and value and we filter our life in those ways. And the struggle is an old struggle against those three things. And our enemy continually bombards us. And it's streaming into our homes, streaming in through our music. It's, it's there all for us to take in. And so the fight is not against flesh and blood enemies but against the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers and the dark world and evil spirits in the heavenly places. You're moving along a path and all of a sudden something glimmers and catches your attention and we rationalize that this time it will be different. And the moment that we take a bite, the ugly baby is born. And the challenge is it's going to happen. That's our humanness. It's going to happen. What are we going to do with it? Are we going to take the ugly baby and be ashamed and run away? Are we going to take the ugly baby or are we going to run to community that people that we know love us? Okay, that's part of it. You have to run to people in the community that love you and will not judge you and walk through you with this so that you can move forward in your faith and understand that, hey, in a moment, you gave up God's kingdom for your kingdom. It's a battle for my desires versus his desires. And I'm selfish. You're selfish. And I know that we kind of get a giggle out of it. You go to ATB or you go to Walmart or you go to some store and you see a little toddler throw a little fit because they're not getting what they want. But we throw the same fits as adults. That there are moments inside you're like, mm, I want, right? And the only reason you don't do it and publicly out loud is because people would mock you. But on the inside you're doing it. And why do we do it? Because we question God's character that he truly cares for us. And we're in those moments of like, God, I want. So if any of you have read the book on death and dying by Kubling Ross, it's this place for us. You can see the, the similarities in us for between God's, my kingdom and God's kingdom is that whenever we're in that prayer mode and whenever we're in that struggling piece of God, I hear what you're saying, but I don't, I don't know. I really, I'm, I'm attached to this. I don't know if I can give this up. I don't know if I can relinquish this. That there's stages of grief of, of surely God's not asking me this. We deny it. And then when we get to that place of, of okay, maybe, and then we're like, uh, and then there's this anger that we kind of struggle with. God, why would you ask me? Like, what, what about so-and-so? Because we see that, there's a, that we feel like there's a loss, that we're giving up something. And then also maybe there's a moment of even just depression of thinking about, man, I'm going to, because in giving up and relinquishing, we see 
that we're giving up some of our identity that's given us worth and value. And even though we know it has been life-giving, we're still giving it up. And so there's, there's loss in that. But hopefully you get to a place of acceptance. That you accept that what God has for you is better. That God the Father only is going to give his children good things and great things and the perfect things in the right time, in the right way, at the right place. And so when you get to that place of acceptance, then we're able to relinquish. So I ask you that as prayer, in the moment of prayer where we go like this, where we've been holding on to, to relinquish. Where we say, God, it's, it's not even my life or my agenda, it's, it's you. I'm, I'm ready to relinquish and give up the perceived control over my life and agenda. And we, we open up our hands instead of holding on. Right, because you don't have to train a two-year-old to be selfish, do you? Like, they just naturally do it. They naturally mine and hold on to it. Whenever they think it's theirs, they will grab onto it and they will hold on to it tight and they will not play well with others. And that's us. We never grow out of that. And so in this prayer, we're saying, God, I've got my kingdom and I want my toys and I want my gin. I want this. And God's like, hey, listen, I got something better. And you're like, no. And God says, just relinquish. Open up your hands and just let it go. It will be better. And in that acceptance, here's the cool thing for us. Is if you ever get to that place, it's a moment of surrender. And what you think is loss is not actually loss. It's actually life-giving and victory. And through that comes worship. That you realize that what you thought was really good for you, that you've, you've given up and you relinquished, God has something better. And you're like, God, I don't know why it took me so long to get here. Right? Hindsight is twenty twenty. The same is true in our spiritual life that those moments that there are things that you've held on to and that have maybe been sins in your life that you've held on to and you just keep going back and you keep going back and so finally somewhere somehow you release it and now there's victory in your life and it's life-giving, it's freeing and there's worship because here's the part, someone knows you for who you truly are and they still love you. You relinquish. See, a lot of times the reason we don't want to give up our kingdom is because we're afraid if somebody comes in our house and sees what's in our kingdom. And they'll go, <laughs> you think you got something of value, that's actually junk. Another man's junk is another man's treasure, right? And so for us, there's stuff that we hold on to, not because it's treasured by us, but because it's junk and we don't want other people to see our trash. Because we don't want to put it on display. Think of the story of Habakkuk, who was a prophet of old, and it's a prophet. He was the voice of the people. His role was kind of a little bit different than normal. Usually a prophet would talk to the people for God. Habakkuk was talking to God for the people. And so what was happening at the time was the nations of Judah and Jerusalem, they were falling, and they had been, they were rampant immorality, there was unrest, there was change, and, and all this stuff was going on, and actually the nations were being overrun by the people, the Babylonian people. And so here Habakkuk is in a moment of anger, in a moment of denial, in a moment of frustration with God, is like, God, what what are you doing? Like we are we are your people and you're letting others who are heathens, who are outsiders, overrun your people. And so him and God have this discussion and you can even see it in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 2. He says, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? That's pretty sassy words, isn't it? If you think about it, I mean, he's standing before God. He's like, How long 
must I call for you for help and you don't listen to me? Ever felt like that? If your prayer's ever been like that, I, mine have. Like, listen, God, I have come to you and I've come to you and I've come to you and you don't listen. Listen, I, I am Chris. And he's like, and? Do you feel like that? Like, God, I have, I have got a, a, a right to come before you. And God responded, though. And that's part of the problem is we ask these things and God doesn't respond like we think he would. And so God responded and he said, you're right. Things are a mess. You're, you've assessed that well, Habakkuk. And I'm going to, because of that, I'm going to empower the Babylonians to bring judgment to you. Which is the exact opposite of what Habakkuk thought should happen. And so the Babylonians overrun him. And that was not Habakkuk's plan. And so he began to bargain with God. God, if you'll do this, I'll do that. I know none of us would do that. But God, if you do this, then I will do this. If you don't send me to Africa, please send me to Hawaii. You know what I mean? Like, if I'm going to be a missionary, send me to this place or that place. I mean, we do these things. We bargain with God. And so here we are. And then... The crucible of faith for Habakkuk that I think all of us go through, and especially as a student pastor for a long time, seeing young people kind of figure out faith and his faith for them. This is the question or prayer. This is my translation of Habakkuk, verses 14 and 15 of chapter 1. What good is it having you as my God when this is how my life turns out? That's the crucible of faith for us, life with God or without God. That we come to a place of testing, of tribulation, of stuff in life, and we're just like, what good is it having you as my God if this is my life? Feel like that right now? Some of us. Because God's not answering the way we think he should answer. And maybe he's doing exactly opposite of what you think. That's the crucible of faith. Should I... Is my life better with or without God? And Habakkuk lingers here for a little bit. Chapters 2 and 3, he's sitting here asking these questions and going through anger and denial and frustration and depression and all this different stuff as he's trying to figure out what in the world is God doing? My kingdom, God's kingdom. And then at chapter 3, it says this, the prayer was sung by the prophet Habakkuk. I've heard all about you, Lord. I'm filled with awe by your amazing works. And in this time of our deep need, help us again, as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, now this is a righteous anger, a holy anger, a jealousy. That, that as God, God is jealous for our affections. Because he knows that any time we pursue anything else that's outside of him, that it will be false. And that it will be fleeting. And that it may for a second seemingly fulfill us, but it will be pain, shame, and regret. And so anything that's not from him will bring us not what he wants for us. And so he's jealous for our affection because he doesn't want his children to make bad decisions. And so in your anger, remember your mercy. Yet, so he goes on for a little bit. He says all these different things that's happening. He says, yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Now, here's the piece that we need to be reminded of, is that our joy as followers of Jesus, everything else can be taken away, and what we have is Jesus. Is that enough? Is that sufficient? 
And so here's Habakkuk saying, I have this crisis of faith, this crucible of faith, and everything is seemingly that I think has brought worth and value to me is gone. And now I'm looking back over all the things that you do and you realize, listen, at least everything else can be taken away. At least the most valuable thing that I have in Jesus is my salvation in Christ. I can have joy in that. That's the story of Job, right? All of his things are taken away. He even got foolish friends. And he's like, I've got foolish friends. All this is gone. But at least I have salvation in you. And for us, my kingdom versus his kingdom. For the sovereign Lord is my strength. And he makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. Because listen, there's going to be places that God's going to ask us to go. That are going to be treacherous. And it will look treacherous to us. It will look treacherous to others. And we'll be like, I don't know if I should go there. It's saying here, sure-footed as a deer, God will walk us through these places and take us where we need to go. And we will be safe. My kingdom, his kingdom. So Habakkuk's struggle of faith is, why would I want you to be God if this is my life? To the point of he looks at all of it. Surrenders and says, God, just be God. I thought that I have control and obviously I don't. God, you be God. And this this moment of submitting and surrendering and of relinquishing and of open hands. And it's that moment of understanding that God cares for you and he loves you and he can be trusted for you. And that time and time again, he's been faithful and he's shown you and he's provided exactly what you need when you need it. He is a good father and a good king. Look at those last verses in Matthew chapter 6. This is where the prayer goes on for a little bit. And then at the end of the prayer, there's these words from Jesus. He says, so don't worry about these things. What are these things? What you're going to eat. What you're going to drink. What you're going to wear. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. Why? Why would it dominate the thoughts of unbelievers? These are people that are not in Christ. Why would it dominate it? Because those are the things of the world that bring them worth and value and identity. The filtered life, right? But for us in Christ, our identity doesn't come from where we eat. It doesn't come from our wine collection. It doesn't come from the clothes that we wear or the house that we have or the cars that we drive or even the friends or or whatever, all those different things. Our identity is found in Christ. That's where our joy is at. All of life is found there. So our pursuit is here. So these things that dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows all your needs. He knows exactly what you need. Now, it doesn't say what you want, but what you need. So my kingdom or his kingdom? Seek first the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. So in your world, my kingdom, his kingdom. My finances, his finances. My relationships, his relationships. See how it works. If there's an area of your life that you're struggling and you're trying to figure out, and there's obstacles and struggles, just put your hands out open before God and say, God, is this? Maybe even into right. 
names or whatever on your hand and say, God, is this my kingdom? Or is this your kingdom? And trust that maybe some of the things that you're holding on to that have given you worth and value and identity, maybe you just need to let them go. And you need to take a wash rag or an eraser or whatever you need to do and just say, I'm giving them and I'm done with them. Because they're not, they're not what I need. Dad, they're not what I need. And then over here, this father is what I need. I wanna, I want this. Let's pray. Our father, dad, daddy, who's in heaven. Holy is your name. There's no other dad like you. So dad, I trust you. This morning I open up my hands and I put my kingdom and your kingdom before me and I just relinquish control. The things that I've been like a two-year-old and holding on to and throwing a temper tantrum over that I think maybe sometimes I'm just too proud to let go of because of what other people will think. Father, I'm just giving them up. And I don't care what other people think anymore. I care what you think. And I want to relinquish them. I want to give them to you. I want to Raise the flag of allegiance to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I want to march in His army, in His direction, and be on His team, and to march to the beat of His drum. May I hear and may I listen to that beat and walk in step and relinquish and submit. To the King of Kings, who's going to lead us to victory after victory after victory. And remove myself from shame, pain, and regret. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Cross Point Community Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this message was encouraging to you as you follow Jesus. For more about Cross Point Community Church, you can find us online at crosspointchurchtx.org. Have a great week.